This glass is so full I could spit in it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, welcome to Wasted Potential Podcast. We are doing another episode of Glass Half Full in which we talk about films we actually enjoy. I am Ronnie and with me is my co-podcaster and breeder of the finest dogfighting pipples, Shane. It is such a good time since you give me this comment. You you really mean it? <laughs> a breeder of fighting pit bulls. I only do cats. Fighting cats. <laughs> I was going to say cats, but pit bulls made more sense. Um, this week we're doing a movie recommended by Shane. What are you watching, Shane? We are watching Life Aquatic with Steve Zizou or The Life Aquatic of Steve Zizou, or... I don't know, it's Wes Anderson's The Life Aquatic. <laughs> I'm glad you looked at the title of the film. With, I think it's with Steve Zizou. It is, I I know. <laughs> ah, good. Well, that's what we watched. <laughs> okay, let's start off with a um, quick synopsis for those who may have not seen it. Want to give us a little plot points there, Shane? What is The Life Aquatic with Steve Zizou? So it is a movie um, by Wes Anderson. If you've ever seen a Wes Anderson film, you already know. Um, but <laughs> it, it features Bill Murray as the main character, and he is a over-the-hill adventurer who used to go on grand ocean adventures and film them and sell the films. He's now kind of on the back end of his career, and he meets Owen Wilson, who believes uh, that he is his long-lost son from a former love. They kind of agree to to do one last hurrah uh, in an effort for Bill Murray to get revenge for the loss of his friend to the leopard shark. I think it's jaguar, isn't it? Jaguar shark, yes. And uh, Bill Murray wants to blow it up. (laughs) And so (laughs) they go on an adventure, um, you know, and it's about you know steve or bill murray finding out you know about his past and becoming a better man owen wilson meeting his father and you know a bunch of shenanigans and you know the ending is sweet it's a wes anderson film just about a growing (laughs) in life uh david bowie is sung in portuguese through the entire (laughs) film uh almost prefer portuguese bowie (laughs) Yeah, I was going to get to that, like, the uh, the soundtrack is entirely David Bowie, and it's phenomenal, and I love the Portuguese David Bowie. It's pretty great. Yeah, before we get too deep, because I might shit on this film accidentally or just in conversation, 10 out of 10, love this movie. Could watch it 100 times. I love everything about it, from how it's filmed, to the sets, to the actors, to the writing, the quirkiness, I just... It's so dry, but yet <laughs> heartfelt. It's, I don't even know, because it's not quite dry. Dry is when you like say something and there's just like awkward silence. This is just like... It's deadpan. Yeah, but when it's delivered by Bill Murray, it feels like it has some substance to it. Uh, really quickly before we get too into our questions and we dive too much into the things that we love about this fantastic film is... Um, it's 2004. It's Wes Anderson written and directed, co-written with uh, Noah Baumbam. He's a like an indie kind of darling person. This is like, I don't know. This movie was made for like 50 million dollars, and it 
bombed. It only made like 30-something back worldwide, so it bombed, but... I think it's probably made it back for the cult following. Yeah, I was going to say that like it's not my favorite Wes Anderson film, but I think it's the one that made me totally appreciate Wes Anderson, and I think it's the most... Well, maybe not, but it's one of my most rewatchable Wes Anderson films. It's fantastic. I want to say, and like Wes Anderson nuts may want to stab me in the neck, but I feel like this is what started to launch Wes Anderson. Like, yeah, Royal Tenenbaums. I think the Darjeeling Unlimited came before this. It's after. Okay. But it like, this is where he started to feel his stride, I feel like. Because like, the Grand Budapest Hotel is probably his most known and popular one that's that's my favorite i think that movie's like fucking perfect yeah you wouldn't have that though without this and i haven't seen the isle of dog either yeah i haven't seen his animated movies but i feel like i think i'm, I'm agreeing with you on this one i think world Bombs is the first one i saw but this is the one that i know it bombed but i heard a lot about this one when i was because this came out in 2004 so i was still young but like i remember when I got older and was able to watch it. It's like, oh, I heard of this. I want to see this one. So this is the one that really got me into Wes Anderson for sure. Uh, speaking of which, um, question one is, when did you first see this film? If you possibly can remember. So I saw this first film, or this film, I think in college. Like early college. I think I had tried to watch it in high school. And I was just too young and dumb to, to get it. And I thought it was stupid and didn't finish it. But then I saw it again in college while I was drunk and in, and in taking part in some illegal substances. Oh my God. And I was like, this movie is the greatest movie I've ever seen in my life. Because <laughs> like, I, for, to this day, I still go, do the interns get Glocks? <laughs> and they, <laughs> no, they share one. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I use that line with everything. Even when I was in the military, I'd be like, do the privates get Glocks? And someone would be like, no, they share one. And I'm like, oh, okay. Like, I just, that line has followed me in everything. There's so many amazing lines that are perfectly said by this cast. Like, this cast is, I think I'm going to delve into it a little bit more, but this cast is amazing. This cast makes this movie because I think they're all, like, congeal so well together. And they all know what they're making and they all want to make this. And it's tons of fun. Because those lines didn't add up to me. Holy shit, son of a bitch. Cut. Oh, got it. Run downstairs, put a tarp over anything that says Operation Hennessy on it. What about this guy? Just throw him over the other side. It's perfect with Bill Murray because I feel like with Bill Murray, especially now, he looks bored. But in this, he's supposed to look bored. But he, you can tell he likes what he's doing. Now I feel like he looks bored and he's disinterested in what he's doing. Um, before we delve too much into the Bill Murray filmography, um, I first saw this, I think, in high school. I think it was on, I don't know, like HBO or something. And I remember William Defoe, which we'll talk about, I'm sure, in length. <laughs> um, I remember so many like scenes, and I think the ending is my favorite part of this film because I think it perfectly wraps it up. Because before I get too much into it, is Bill Murray's an asshole, and I think because Bill Murray is Bill Murray, it makes him more likable to an audience. But I think Wes Anderson does a good job of kind of redeeming him by the end because he's pretty awful in this film. I wrote down a bunch of things he did, which we'll get to in a little bit. 
But um, what's your most recent reaction to this? I love it more than ever. Um, I already knew kind of everything. It's been a minute since I watched it again, but I just thoroughly enjoy it. I can watch every scene, but I, like now, since especially now since I do two podcasts where I just watch movies, I, I kind of pay attention more to like the cinematography of things. Just the set makes me laugh. Like, it's just all one set that's stacked super tight on itself, and they're, like, climbing through the ship, and you can tell the set is just this side, this wall they built out that they climb through, but that's hilarious in itself, because it's so silly, like, how this ship is built. Yeah, the uh, cinematographer is Robert uh, Yeoman, and he's the usual Wes Anderson person, and I love how the camera flows, I love the blocking, I love the, the placement, there's... I'm kind of getting into question number three, but really quickly, what I love about this film and what I, I, know, I appreciated this time was in the background of every scene, there's something silly going on. Like, for example, there's a scene where Bill Murray's talking to Kate Blanchett and behind him there's a, a big killer whale doing like tricks and kind of taking the, 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 uh, <laughs> the, the punch out of Bill Murray's anger in the scene. As he's calling her a and all sorts of terrible things, there's this orca like doing twirls in the background <laughs> and then uh and then the scene where uh, they're on angelica they're on a uh, jeff goldblum's island and he's talking to angelica houston <laughs> behind him you can see the fabio guy just kind of just standing there kind of cleaning things watering plants <laughs> yes. there's, there's so many things like that like like in the framing there's also another there's another shot where um i think it's bill murray and owen wilson are having a a nice moment, or maybe it's Owen Wilson and Kate Blanchett have a nice moment, but in the background you can see Willem Dafoe spying on them, and it's never mentioned again, but it's, like, fantastic. <laughs> There's so many great background stuff that it was, I was just dying of laughter, just, like, like that's so intentionally done, and it's just for the audience who rewatches and wants to have fun watching those things in the background. It's, it's fantastic. I think that's why Wes Anderson does deadpan and dry humor so well, because the problem with a lot of people that do it is they'll put the character main frame like center frame nothing going on and they'll just be staring and you get bored this bill murray's delivering a dry line or someone's delivering a dry line but there's something going on in the background so that it distracts you a little bit there's just always something to entertain you while this stupid dry comedy is happening yeah that that goes back to actually like old school comedy with like the zucker brothers where like the the thing was like if there's something if, if someone's giving dialogue in the background there's almost always something humorous to kind of keep the scene kind of going as well so it, it goes back to classic comedy and i don't know wes anderson likes those kind of zucker brothers like air, airplane and things like that but you can tell there's definitely an influence of like oh he knows how to layer his comedy so even though the dialogue that's happening isn't boring and it's not like bad but just little things in the background too to just remind you like hey there's more things in the world besides these people's like silly problems that don't really matter. <laughs> That's true. Um, I like how he layers like this kind of fun, like just ordinary story. Let's just say it's kind of ordinary with pirates that kidnap the stooge. And like, it's just, <laughs> I, I can't stop laughing and smiling. Cause it's just so ridiculous and awesome. Or like, um, or like when they go to Jeff Goldblum's um, scientific lab and break <laughs> and break in, and then and, and having this wonderful dialogue while where, where the where the studio is saying, "Wait, you're breaking in," and he goes and he goes, "Say what you got to say to cover your ass." Interns, start taking everything. <laughs> ha, 
Ralph, go down and give me some cable snippers. This is Captain Hennessy. You have trespassed on a private facility. The Coast Guard is being alerted by a satellite. <laughs> or the dolphins that he hates because he thinks they're just stupid. <laughs> I love the dolphins. Uh, he says, he's like, I hate those fucking dolphins. He says the line, um, like, they're supposed to be really intelligent, but but I've yet to see any evidence of this. <laughs> <laughs> just, there's always something. Every second. This movie, for being s- such a long and dry movie, is dense. Every scene is dense. I, I describe this movie as whimsical and meandering. And it meanders, but that's the fun part. I, the main mission, you kind of forget that there's a shark, because all the little side plots are just as interesting as Bill Murray's dynamite revenge against a jaguar shark. And it's just, it just the, the whole kidnap scene in this, of itself is a perfect, just film that would be amazing just to watch steve zizu for an hour and a half just kind of try to save uh jeff goldblum <laughs> as they shoot it no one ever gets shot really there's like a couple of people that get shot but they'll like just blast each other at point blank and no one's getting shot <laughs> i love how they everyone's a terrible shot everyone uh, learned from stormtroopers how to fire and there's just a bunch of <laughs> sparks flying everywhere it's just nonsense the uh, well, let's dive into this one. Like some th- three things you love about this film, and since you mentioned it's going to the violence, like like it's goofy, but then it knows when to be serious. Like uh, spoilers when um when Ned dies, the violence like uh, Bill Murray says uh oh, or or he says this is gonna hurt, and they crash. It's kind of silly, but then they know exactly like okay, take this as seriously as you can, even though this is a silly whimsical movie because it's a very sad moment. Right. Three things I love about this film. Uh, one, Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> He's so magical in this. Describe, uh, t- tell us who Jeff Goldblum is in regard to the film. Jeff Goldblum is like his arch nemesis and rival, and also happens to be his current wife's ex husband. <laughs> and Jeff Goldblum was just told, hey, Jeff, just be you. And that's what he did. Uh, he's also way more successful than Bill Murray. He's kind of like who Bill Murray was, and now he is him, but like to the nth degree. <laughs> he's the um, the more attractive. Well, I guess he, he's played off as more attractive. I don't know. It, it depends on your, mm-hmm. your standard of beauty for Jeff Goldblum versus Bill Murray. But he's more suave. He's rich, successful. But it's kind of funny because by the end of the film, he has nothing left and he has to go down to uh, Steve Zizou's level of like, I'm just tagging along to see this shark because I have nothing of my own anymore. Right. And, and then he also does that scene where he's like, can I talk to my wife right now? And he goes, yeah, we never were good husbands. And he's like, but I have an excuse. I'm partly gay. Yeah. And Bill Murray goes, I think we all are. This is what I wrote down. I wrote down, um, Zeev Zeevzu is a womanizer. He's very sensitive. He's pathetic. He's selfish. He's always lying. He's a thief. He's basically a madman. And he's, uh, this is a very, a lot of, uh, homophobic remarks, but I feel like by the end he accepts who he is and says, yeah, I did those things. I'm a bad person, but I can live with that. And he, and then that's why like when Bill Murray says, I think we're all, you know, partly gay. That's like his redemption because otherwise, I'm sure you get backlash for like, uh, this, even for 2004, this is pretty bad. He's Well, and he even makes the comment earlier, he's like, I've always had a sneaky suspicion that guy was a queer or something like that. <laughs> I just, it's, this movie, it just, all day I could talk, but just Willem Dafoe I could talk, because he's my second love. Willem Dafoe, 
who plays a very insecure, sensitive German, <laughs> Klaus, <laughs> who idolizes Steve almost too much and is jealous of Ned <laughs> because he's his real son, or so they think. He just is constant. He, like, slaps Owen Wilson and... Anytime anyone gives him a compliment, he like starts to cry. Yes. <laughs> My favorite scene with with him is at the ver- is the last scene with him and Ned, where, uh, where he tells him about the dolphin. Up. Thank you for putting me on the flag, Ned. Of course, Klaus. It was my pleasure. Yeah, but you stitched me onto the dolphin, and I want you to know how much that means to me. Well, I'm very pleased you liked it. You, you're not listening. I didn't just like it. You understand? Yes, I do. Thank you, Klaus. My favorite scene was um, Ned walks up and slaps him. And he goes, why did you slap me? <laughs> and he goes, because I owed you one. He's like, no, but you already want, you have to warn me first. And he goes, no, I don't. I owed you one. <laughs> and they get in this exchange and he goes like, I guess we're even. And he goes and cries and runs away. <laughs> He's like, now I owe you one. <laughs> yes, I um since you're jumping into this one, I love the cast. Um, everyone's perfect. Kate Blanchett has, I don't know what Kate Blanchett's actual voice sounds like, but I think this is kind of closer to I it. Know. It's British, but it's, it's not like your regular British. It's a very kind of like insecure type of British. And then I love Angelica Houston. Cause she's so cold. She's so, so cold, but she's so funny and she doesn't take any shit from Steve. And it's kind of, well, and she's the most logical person of the entire group. Yes. They, they constantly joke that, that she's the brains behind it, and by the end, Steve accepts that because he's kind of a nincompoop, and so is Ned too, which I'll get into in a second. But it's funny this because like she's she has all the money, she has all the brains, she's basically Zizu. <laughs> <laughs> she yeah, she is the reason for all his success, and she knows it. <laughs> she doesn't really seem to care. What do you think of Owen Wilson in this film? He's so lovable. He was the perfect cast for this because Ned is like this lovable person that you just root for and he's just he's shown up and man they pack his backstory with so much dark shit like bill murray has basically ignored him for his entire life like knowing that he's his son or potentially his son um never communicates with him but ned's just always been writing him being his biggest fan looking for his father became something good like he became an airline pilot and but he's like super gentlemanly and just a kind of a gullible guy. And Owen Wilson just going, wow, <laughs> like just was perfect. It was, it, I couldn't pick a better actor to do it. At first I didn't like it, but then I think once you got deeper into Ned, I was like, okay, this works for Owen Wilson because I don't know if you remember this or probably the audience remember. Do you remember that Owen Wilson tried to kill himself? I do. Um, it was after when he had the breakup with Kate Hudson, right? So I've always known that Owen Wilson has potential to kind of delve into darker things. I'm not a huge Owen Wilson fan, but by the end of this, I was like, he's like a pathetic buffoon, but man, is he like so sincere and lovable. And I'm like, okay, I can get this. And I feel like that fits Owen Wilson better than other characters he's done. So at first I didn't like him, but then I was like, you know, he's perfect actually for this. He's almost believable as Steve's son because he acts like Steve, but on the other spectrum. Mm -hmm. He's like if Steve was nice (laughs) and not a narcissistic douche. It's like if if Ned was understanding and forgiving while Steve is kind of like, like vengeful and kind of 
you know, passive aggressive. So you're right. It's the opposite spectrum of like, they've both had hard upbringings with no fathers, but he leaned the opposite way. So I guess this will bring me into my third love, and that is line delivery. The script for being a long movie is very tight. There's not a wasted word. And the actors know how to... It's like it was almost written for that person. Like a couple examples. Yes, what's next for Team Z, Sue? Well, that was only part one. It's a cliffhanger. Now I'm going to go hunt down that shark, or whatever it is, and hopefully kill it. I don't know how yet. Maybe dynamite. You don't know what it is? No, I've never seen anything like it before in my life. You say this is a jaguar shark. That's the title of your film. It was coming right at us. I just said the first two words that came into my head. That's an endangered species at most. What would be the scientific purpose of killing it? Revenge. And then another one is Jeff Goldblum is staring. He goes, man, I am so upset right now. I could, I could spit. <laughs> he spits on the ground and I just am crying laughing because Jeff Goldblum's so angry he's spitting <laughs> or uh, the three-legged dog Cody is like this shows what an asshole Jeff Goldblum is but at the same time you laugh at him hitting a dog like he just rolls up a newspaper he's like shush you shush Cody still <laughs> yeah I don't I don't know why that's in the film because we already kind of don't like Jeff Goldblum because he's, as Bill Murray says perfectly, he's my arch nemesis, don't talk to him. Like, I don't get why they, they did that. I was like, oh, that's kind of, like, cruel. I feel like they cast the movie first and then wrote the lines. I, I'm sure that's not how it happened, but that's how it feels. Because... from I watched the behind the scenes, actually, and uh, Anderson wrote this with Bill Murray in mind because he's been... Bill Murray's been in all of his movies, I think, except for maybe Bottle Rocket. So, but he was in Rushmore, so one of his first ones. So I think he had him in mind, and he's been trying he before he tried to make this for about fourteen years. And Murray was on board, just they never kind of got the script all the way through finally. But once he did it, you're right; it's it's entirely perfect for Murray because this is 2004. This is right after Lost in Translation. This is like Bill Murray's revival of like, hey, I'm 50. I'm accepting that like I'm not my Peter Venkman comedy anymore, but now I'm kind of like the over-the-hill type of reflective kind of bachelor person, which is basically who Bill Murray is. He's not really acting, because when I was watching the behind-the-scenes, it was really funny to watch Owen Wilson and Kate Blanchett try to explain that Bill Murray doesn't act. He's kind of being himself. <laughs> it's kind of like, um, I guess it's, that, that's a positive and a negative, because it works, but it's also like, well, if he's not acting, that's not acting. It's just, he's being him. But I, I like it in this. I've seen him in other movies where he's doing his Bill Murray shtick, and it doesn't feel as authentic. Um, I feel like, especially Bill Murray now, I don't know what he thinks about acting or anything like that, but he seems bored and uninterested and just does his thing. So you have to write the character to fit that, or it's off-putting. Steve Zizu is what I picture how Bill Murray acts in real life. And obviously there's... Especially now, with like the Chive and Bill Murray coming together to form the cult and myth of Bill Murray, like everyone's heard the you know the random bar stories of the myth of Bill Murray, so that kind of is sprinkled in here. But he wrote this before the myth was born. I feel like the myth kind of grew from here. 
like, like I said, this is the revival period. This is when Bill Murray, like you said, got cool and nothing against him. I think he's a fantastic and hilarious actor, but I guess in real life, he allegedly, you know, has done some things. Go Google it if you really care that much. But point being is like, he seems like an asshole, but he's funny. So I guess like, I know people who can't stand him and don't like his personality. Therefore, they don't watch his movies. And I can get that. I think, like you said, his his films he picks fit him, and they work perfectly for the films he's in. You know who I picture being the next Bill Murray? Matthew McConaughey. He's kind of already on his way. Just this dude that randomly shows up and makes your day and then like fair, goes away like dust and just does random movies that you like. He's not quite Bill Murray, but fuck again. Am I allergic to podcasts? Jesus Christ! You're allergic to to our fucking bullshit podcast. I'm gonna write in the book. Matthew McConaughey next. Bill Murray. I could see that. I think McConaughey's too into himself, Just roaming the country as an RV, spreading his whiskey wisdom around. Bill Bill Murray is notoriously hard to work with he doesn't have a publicist and he only and he and he misses a lot of contracts because he, he, he's very picky on what, what he, things he picks so um, i don't know mcconaughey seems like i'll do whatever you want me to do maybe old mcconaughey i think he's a little more selective now now that he can't be i'm agreeing with you bill murray is perfect in this this is a perfect role yes for absolutely the whole cast is perfect i couldn't recast anybody and kate blanchett kind of gets for such a great actress, she's kind of a small part in this. She's not a small part, but she can be overshadowed by all the huge personalities because her character isn't a huge personality. Yeah, not to jump ahead, but I was going to say the only thing that I like, and I kind of I'm, I'm on the balance, I'm on the, the the fence here. There's a lot of characters, and I would like to spend more time with them, but you don't want the movie to be any longer because it's basically just Steve dealing with his son and all these things, but. There's so many quirky, fun characters that it's kind of, like you said, some of the characters get lost. Like, Kate Blanchett doesn't really have a finale. Like, she has a moment with Bill Murray where, like, they, they come together and, and then he, he says thank you. He kind of has a moment where he, like, he thanks her for even though they've been had a, a very tremulous relationship. But she doesn't have too much by the end. She's kind of forgotten. But even though she is there. and But, but I think your point, she's an Academy Award winning actress who's... Seems like she's not lowering herself, but she's taking a smaller part than you would think she would. Yeah. And I I think this is before. No, because she got an Academy Award for Lord of the Rings, didn't she? As a supporting actress? No, this is. I think this is the same year or the year after I'm Not There, where she did the Bob Dylan mm. movie. So that's around there. This is. She's, she's like a big actress right now, but she's not. She was in Meryl Streep chasing Jess, yeah. Don't cancel us now. I just worshiped Kate Blanchett. <laughs> What are three things that you love about this film in itemized order? Um, one thing I wrote down is I love the, the use of diegetic and non-diegetic music. Like, um, I mentioned this already with the David Bowie stuff. but Digestive like, um, music. The music. <laughs> so, okay, diegetic is music that comes from within the film, and non-diegetic is what comes in from outside the filmscape. So, like, the composer makes non-diegetic. Diegetic music is things like when people are singing. So, this film... Like, um, the Portuguese character who's named Pele right now. It's Pele. Right? Yeah, it's, it's Pele. So, so Pele is singing David Bowie songs the entirety of the film. And that's, like, diegetic, where it's coming from the film. But then it also kind of goes into the a composition when they actually play real David Bowie songs. 
and back and forth, or like the scene which- Supposedly Cousteau and his cronies invented the idea of putting walkie-talkies into the helmet. But we made ours with a special rabbit ear on the top so we could pipe in some music. It's like Wes Anderson knows film and knows the rules and says, I'm going to play with these rules where it's kind of like you can't tell when reality and fantasy are kind of intermingling. I love it. It's, it's fun. Oh, that's interesting you bring that up because the entire film is about what was reality and what was staged with Steve Zizou, you know? Like, did he really discover that extinct muskrat, muskrat under the iceberg or was it bullshit? You know what I mean? Like, they kind of hint that they actually had real adventures that were crazy and made them famous. But they also hint that maybe a lot of it was bullshit that they did for the camera or lied or... You can't tell what's real or not. You have a you kind of get a peer with the hunt for the leopard or the jaguar shark that some of the shots they redo right they for cinematic effect, but they really did find the shark. So it's like, oh, okay, I see what you're doing here. I think that's um. Uh, while I was reading about this, Wes Anderson has a a love for Jacques Cousteau and and he dedicated this film to him after he passed away. And I think that's kind of the point is he wanted he wanted to kind of show. Like documentaries are documentaries, but they're also cinematic. Like so, like so, so I, I think it's I think it's a fun like you said it's a fun way of playing with reality and fantasy and c- cinematic feels because it's like you see the behind the scenes and it's hilarious. Like, um, Steve, what produces this effect of illumination? Is there a chemical inside the organism? No, Ned. Actually, it's the reflection of the moonlight on their outer membranes. That's a very good uh, ad lib. That was a goddamn tearjerker. Why did you cut it, man? Because the sound is going to be shit. He doesn't even know how to hold a boom. He doesn't know diddly check about what we do. Don't cut unless I say cut. I've never seen so many electric jellyfish in all my life. Those are the Yet Kong man of wars. Oh shit, she's right. I guess we'll have to loop that line. Where'd you come from? You look pregnant. I am pregnant. Or the scene where uh, where where Ned tells him, "What's that blip over there?" And and, and Steve goes, "Oh yeah, I saw that. Good job, Ned." And then, then he pulls him aside and says, "Don't do that. <laughs> Don't make <laughs> you look bad." So so he's like, "I was writing. I wrote down like he's making trash documentaries to make money. He's not like an artiste. He's not like right. And he barely cares about nature. They kind of hints that he used to. He doesn't now. I disagree with that. But um, I think he loves nature because because. Uh, what I was diving into is like, there's a reason why I didn't look this up. But this, is my, this is my idea. Tell me if you think I'm off. There's a reason why they picked David Bowie. And I think it's because Steve Zizou relates to David Bowie's Ziggy Stardust of being like an alien. Cause he doesn't work with humans. He does not have good relationships. He and his wife cheat on each other. He's an awful to Ned. He's womanizer. He ruins things, but then he connects to nature, right? Because he loved those little animals here and there he, he appreciates when um the little german boy gives him the seahorse i think he relates to fish more than humans which is kind of the point so i think they intentionally picked bowie because they wanted to have like this is an artist who no one gets and i don't think zizu is as unique as bowie but he has that personality of like i don't fit in with normal society he likes fish dislikes dolphins yeah <laughs> <laughs> but um but that's i guess it dives into this this idea of like Steve's an asshole, 
but he's like a nature person. He's just a person who doesn't relate to humans very well. So that's why all his relationships fall apart is because he doesn't do well, which is weird because I wrote down like, why does he like Esteban so much? Esteban's his best friend. And the only thing I can think of is Esteban doesn't speak. So he and Murray just understand each other on a level that's beyond human connection. But they don't really delve into that. That's just what I'm picking up off of. Yeah, Esteban, there's not much depth to that. There's just the, he loved him. That's the idea, right? That he was his best friend, partner in crime, and then he got eaten. But even when he got eaten, he's like, are they? Are you getting this on camera? Esteban! <laughs> Esteban! He's... <laughs> Willem Dafoe! It's like, wait, wait, he was swallowed whole? No, he was chewed. <laughs> Is he alive? No, he was chewed. <laughs> I think he's gone crazy. He's got crazy eyes. He's got, um, what is it? Um, it, It's like some weird take on the Benz. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but I just, that dialogue too. Bill Murray's like, he's dead. He was eaten. <laughs> or, or swallowed whole? No, 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 that didn't chewed him. <laughs> like, <it> just... <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm losing my shit. No, it's it's hilarious. It's amazing. All those, like you said, the, the lines are perfectly delivered by everybody and every character isn't underdeveloped, but they're developed enough so you get an understanding of who they are. Because I like when um Steve tells Ned, he says, uh, oh yeah, no one belongs here. No one's qualified. We're all just a bunch of ragtag, bunch of people. So it's, it, it reminds me, have you seen the movie Ed Wood? Yes. So I love Ed Wood, and why it reminded me of this is because like these are all like a bunch of B movie documentarians that don't make a lot of money, but they make enough to kind of survive and keep doing their thing. And they make trash movies, but they love them. And that's why I like this so much is they have their world, they love their world, they do well in their world, and they don't need anything else. They just need each other. So I, I love how endearing this film is. Wes Anderson knows how to really connect you to his characters that are almost unrelatable sometimes, but they're very lovable. The perfect example of that is, I, I don't know what her name is. I just call her script girl, but she's the script girl that never wears a shirt. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, Oh, I know exactly. He's like 25 years old does script and her boobs are just front and center on the screen. And she's like always out tanning somewhere with her tits out. But in, but she's actually the most logical of all of them. Like, she's the one that, like, leads the mutiny and does all these things. Like, she's the perfect example of, what are you doing here? Oh, I know. But they actually are good at what they do. Two, two things there. I think that's um, a feminist thing because cause they're running on the beach and they're topless. So then she's topless because she's equal to the crew. And that's either a feminist thing or it's, like, a Steve Zizu creepy thing where it's like, hey, we're all equal. Take your shirt off. I don't know for sure. Maybe a little column A, a little column B. And then the second thing is... Speaking of Ed Wood, she's kind of like the Sarah Jessica Parker character who screams at all the people at one point and goes, you're all out of your fucking minds. You're a bunch of losers. And it's kind of like she's the rational person speaking, which, you know, she's not the bad guy, but we we want to be on Team Steve Zizu. So she's kind of pushing away reality. Like, right. We're, we want to hook our wagon to that crazy train. <laughs> she, the logic is no fun. Um, she, she also does one of my favorite scenes where she leads the mutiny and no one joins her, but the interns who have been <laughs> chopped and shot and, and, and committed felonies for a grade. 
And then the next scene, Steve goes, I understand. I'm not going to fail any of you, but you won't get complete credit when he incompletes. <laughs> like, this is horseshit. <laughs> He's like, goodbye. Um, that's a, let's dive into some more lines. I wrote them in a couple lines. I love them. Um, Steve says to Kate Blanchett, what are you doing here? You look pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> and then that also kind of sets up which feeds to the entire movie, you won't notice it unless you think about it, but that Klaus is terrible at his job. <laughs> he never, because he's like, one of my guys was supposed to pick you up. Klaus! like, And then, like, he's like, oh, Klaus is supposed to check the helicopter every six months. Like, Klaus never does his job. <laughs> it's, it's either that, or I think it's probably more Steve likes to blame everyone but himself, because obviously uh. it's his fault that... You know, they mentioned a couple of times. They mentioned the helicopter, the the the, uh, the 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 pistons, technology. Nothing works because Steve's cheap and has no money. So I think that's, that's <laughs> it. Could be Klaus is incompetent because Klaus takes the blame because Klaus loves Steve so much. But I think it's also Steve wants to put the blame on everyone but himself. That's true. I, I like that. Also, um, the idea that there's this like weird rivalry between Steve and Ned to sleep with Kate. Blanchett, who's yeah. five months pregnant. Yes, right. <laughs> there's all this like talk that's like the Pele is like, I like her hairdo, and Klaus is like, No, Steve has called dibs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's 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 funny, but it's and it's kind of gross. But it's... oh, it's so gross. But Steve is gross. Yes, and that I think that's the likability of Murray and the finesse of Anderson to like, even though Steve is unlikable and is a monster and should be tried for like crimes he he's 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 going through a the most human thing in the world is realizing that like he's to blame for all the tragedy in his life and he has to accept responsibility so that's what i really love about that which is the entire arc of him yeah which he even in the end when he takes wegner or whatever the little kid's name is klaus's nephew Werner. Vena and like just puts him on his shoulders instead of picking up the award and walks to David Bowie again. That's like his arc where he's like accepting I I need to just be nicer. I need to, to I have to understand that people look up to me. But they do it with this wonderful uh it's just so wonderful. And I'm getting drunk now. Speaking of which, let's let's dive into my favorite scene, which is the ending, which I'll ask you what your favorite scene is in the end. But I love the ending and the sub for two reasons. One, the comedy and the drama. I love the shot because they're on this tiny sub and it says only six people allowed. And there's like 20 of them in there. And it's so ridiculous and it's so much fun. And, and I love how Kate Bunchen says, uh, is this safe? And Steve goes, probably not. Yeah. But then like. Wes Anderson knows stop the comedy to have that moment when Steve is trying to not break down, but he's breaking down. They comfort him because he's accepting like the loss and his responsibility and all of this. And he's kind of, he's finally surrounded by a family and he kind of realizes that. So I, I love that scene so very much. It's, it's super, it's goofy, it's whimsical, but it's sincere. And I really enjoy that a lot. This is something, especially in Wes Anderson films that I can't point to quite in others where he crescendos, but you don't know. It's like you're going uphill, but you don't notice you're going uphill until you're at the top. And you go, oh, shit, I'm at the top of this mountain. He, like, pushes you up the crescendo, and you don't notice until you're there. Um, they just kill Ned. Like, you're like, oh, shit, that's dark. But 
it's still not playing, you know, you're not getting that huge score, you're not getting the big crying scene, you're like, it, it, it feels underplayed almost that Ned is dead. Um, but they use the Jaguar shark, and that whole slight buildup sprinkled with some random comedy to finally get you to that point where Bill Murray's looking at the shark and accepting that he doesn't want to take revenge on it. You know, he's accepting Esteban is gone. He's accepting Ned is gone and what Ned was to him and all these things. And the shark is just there to kind of be the catalyst for all that emotion coming. And Bill Murray does an excellent job of half crying. Like you can see he's holding the emotion back. But it caught you. You're like, oh. But you didn't notice that you were getting there. Um, other films, it's like you feel the buildup. It's happening. You're you're along for the ride. And then they hit you with the puppy or the old yeller or the something. And then the emotion hits. This one sneaks up on you. And I, I feel like Wes Anderson does that all the time. Where it's like you don't notice you're on an incline until you're to the top. Yeah, it's, it relates to, I'm thinking of this because you mentioned it, Grand Budapest Hotel. Mm-hmm. It's like, the, the climax of that is dark. Very. You remember how it ends with, when they're when they're on the train and the Nazis take them over? I'm like, oh, this is kind of the point of the film. It's like, it's someone retelling a very fun but dark part of their life. And you're like, oh, shoot, now I'm feeling something that I was not prepared for. And, it, and it's interesting, and maybe this might set people on differences. Like, to me... That might seem jarring in other films, but I think Wes Anderson cuts enough reality and darkness to prepare you for that punch in the gut, even though it's a whimsical, goofy film. Uh, it reminds me a lot of, um, I can't remember, I think it was called like Moonrise Kingdom, the one with Bruce Willis. Yeah. And that, that yeah. is super dark, but it's so whimsical in that like Bruce Willis is the camp master or something. And like the, it's been a minute, but I remember being so whimsical but like when you actually look at it you go jesus christ like (laughs) he's very good at hiding how dark the subject is but not not covering over the subject he's just confusing your brain (laughs) i don't think i'm a biggest fan of moonrang kingdom i think i need to rewatch it but i remember the the thing being it's about a, an orphan kid, right? And it's Bruce Willis coming, yeah. coming to terms with like, like, hey, I can take you in. It's a lot of things. I, I just, it's, it's about kids. And you and I have a very interesting opinion about kid movies. It's not a kid movie, but it's a movie about kids. And I'm like, I don't think I was in the mo- moment for it, but in the mood for it. But it's, it, I remember liking it just fine. But it's, it's probably my least favorite Wes Anderson films. I always get scenes. I, I maintain that Jojo Rabbit stole, not stole, but took inspiration from a lot from Moonrise Kingdom because the whole Jojo Rabbit, Sam Rockwell, Nazi camp feels like Moonrise Kingdom. <laughs> Speaking of which, I uh, think that was our favorite film of 2018 was Jojo Rabbit or 2019, one of those years. Oh, hands down. movie is wonderful. I think you and I need to spend uh, a, a day one time and revisit that one because that i think we talked about it texting one day i'm like this is like the best movie of the year and no one's talking about this as much yeah oh yeah we'll we'll definitely do a glass half full about jojo the last line that i have that i wrote down was i believe it's criminal that steve allowed this to happen to us by which i mean illegal we're being led on an illegal suicide mission by a selfish maniac i hear what you're saying 
but I think you misjudged the guy. But then he like <laughs> looks back into the window to spy on everybody. Mm. Yes. <laughs> that's, that's like one of my favorite moments where I was just laughing out loud. Or they're searching this island that his ex-wife has found because she's the only one that uses logic. And and they like go through and all Steve is doing is talking about how him and his ex-wife had a honeymoon here and how the bartender made a great drink. Nothing's going on. They find the stooge randomly and like save him and then the dog his three-legged dog cody finds the pirates and (laughs) jeff goldblum is sitting there his entire crew has been buried and eaten all his sea turtles have been turned into stew (laughs) and he goes oh steve are you here to save me and steve just stares and goes i guess i fold and then they just shoot him (laughs) in like this weird (laughs) it's magical this might be a detriment in other films, but it works perfectly in this film. Is everything's flat? Yes. All the angles are so flat, and it works perfectly because of the the um, deadpan humor, where it's like wifeold, and then blow. It's a, it's on a flat angle, and it's ridiculous, but it adds to that humor of look how goofy this angle looks, but it works so well. With well, and I'm film. trying to think in the hands of other directors. I feel like Steve would have got the gun, and he would have shot, and he would have just hit a pirate one shot, one shot, as he's just marching through the ship, killing pirates. But with Wes, they just literally sit there, and everyone exchanges thousands of rounds, and there's just bullets and explosions going on around everyone, and everyone just runs from each other. No one actually... There's only one person that gets shot, and it's treated like... We have to bury him. There's like this whole thing that goes with the one pirate they shot. It totally avoids all the action tropes that you would have, and they all just shoot at each other and run away. <laughs> like nothing happens. But it works perfectly. It works perfectly because the Zizu team is incompetent. They just kind of luck into it, so it works perfectly that that they're all incompetent, and it just kind of it works. It just it's it's. I could see if you're like, well, there's no tension. Well, there's no tension in this movie, anyways. It's it's a it's a goofy comedy. With some heartstrings, but if you play it goofy, then you don't need to add those ridiculous action tropes that add those tension when it's just like, no, this is just hilarious with these sparks flying, they're running around, they take dynamite and they <laughs> blow it up, <laughs> and then and then half the crew just sitting there staring at them and have no reaction None. when the, the dynamite blows up. It's like fantastic. And like, even they set up like, oh, you have to take this stooge with you, right? And he's like, oh, fucking stooge. And he's like, I may work for this Bond company, but I'm also human. And Bill Murray goes, you're right. I'm sorry for insulting you. And they like become a team and he becomes part of the team. <laughs> and that's what's so perfect is they're just a ragtag group of misfits and they belong together. And it's, and even though Bill Murray's like emotionally like crippled, he understands to bring in misfits because he brings net in. He brings everyone in. And Jelka Houston's like, stop bringing them in. They're going to die. Everyone <laughs> dies that we, we bring in here. But instead he's like, no, I want them, these, this island of misfits uh, oceanographers. It's pretty delightful. Yeah. The last person who I think doesn't get appreciated enough, people won't understand, is Michael Gambon and how mm-hmm. funny he really is because he's a international like fugitive on the run. <laughs> that he just low key puts in there like he's like i'm sorry uh steve i won't be able to join you on your ship i'm currently fleeing justice because of some passport incidents i'm currently wanted in 38 countries <laughs> and like he just randomly drops in that he's a fugitive <laughs> yeah right it's just like just it's, it is what it is it's just like and 
And it's funny is like there's no judgment on any of the characters because they're just like, yeah, it is what it is. These they they do what they do. <laughs> and for some reason, Steve does all his film reviews in Italy, but. <laughs> Yes, and I wrote that down. I, I wrote, only the Europeans can appreciate how goofy it is because Americans would be bored with their documentaries. But um, the only thing is, I want to talk about, because you got to talk about this, is the uh, stop motion. What do you think about the stop motion? Some people are split on this. What do you think about the, the ridiculous, goofy stop motion creatures? I love it because it's a, it's a Wes Anderson staple. You don't see a Wes Anderson film unless you're prepared to see stop motion. <laughs> like. <laughs> And it, it, it's a ridiculous world and ridiculous characters doing ridiculous things. I, none of the sea life that he says is real. Like, <laughs> the crayon freaking... Crayon seahorse, the, the, the jack whales, jaguar shark, um, the, 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 uh, the sugar crabs, something like that. I don't have a problem with it because it, it's ridiculous in its sense. Um, I don't... I have an issue with it. I've never had an issue with it. it. It's not like we're watching The Departed and all of a sudden there's like stop motion in it. And you're like, wait, what the fuck? <laughs> like, it fits very well in this whimsical comedy. I think it's actually perfect because especially the ending when they're diving below the depths and you see this basically otherworldly alien look. It's like, this looks cartoony and goofy. Mm-hmm. But once again, that's what the ocean is. The ocean is... Like outer space to us, there's like what ninety percent of the ocean we have not seen and, ex- and explored. So it's it's very. I think it fits it like you said perfectly. I think you said it perfectly. It's this movie is whimsical and it's not normal. It's not our reality. There's real consequences, but there's not. It's so goofy, but I love it. I, I think I can understand if you don't like it because it's it's so jarring. But I don't think it's jarring. I think it's fun and goofy. And like you said, these things are all fake. Therefore, you can have more fun with these ridiculous ideas. He's got a sauna on his boat. Like, how real do we want him? He's got a sauna. They're all smoking in there. And the pregnant woman's in there. Is also drinking. <laughs> she, she drinks. Also, uh, a line I caught this time I never caught before is they do the science lab. And he's like, this is where we do all our science experiments. And he goes, this is our kitchen. Probably the most technologically advanced piece of equipment on our ship yep (laughs) (laughs) i laughed so hard i was like we just moved from the laboratory he's like the kitchen is where all the science takes place that's so steve zizu thing where it's like hey we're gonna skimp on the important technology stuff but make sure we get some quality food going on in here he he reminds me of like archer led expeditions <laughs> in the ocean yes <laughs> definitely an older an older archer actually it's pretty cool pretty perfect actually it's an older archer yep that, that's exactly what this is there you go h john benjamin right any more things you love before we get to the blasphemous part of this um i could go all day about things i love uh the last thing i think i'm gonna go with with love is the interns <laughs> i fucking love and this just to everyone know we're gonna get an intern like it has to happen this podcast is gonna have an intern so <laughs> send your applications to podcast gmail.com and know that you're not gonna make any money you might get shot and stabbed but you maybe get college credit and your contract may be abhorrent <laughs> <laughs> the things you see in that contract and nda are abhorrent but um <laughs> 
I just love that there's this group of like eight people that do all the work and that Steve is always just like taking advantage of and it's always an offhand remark like oh and nine unpaid interns <laughs> what's even great is he just calls him intern and even ned has a moment where he goes his name is jamie because and steve just like brushes it off like who cares they're called interns <laughs> and this is the one that got hit by a machete <laughs> well and it's even funny because in the credits they just call him intern number one they, they don't even bother giving him an actual name <laughs> Oh, it's it's too incredible. I love every part of this film um, dearly. I forgot even. Like, I always, like, if you had said, oh, do you like Life Aquatic with Steve Zizou? I went like, oh, yeah, absolutely. But watching it this time, I was like, oh, my God. I forgot what a treasure this movie is. Yes. So, speaking of which, last question. Is there anything you would want to change from this? I think we can both agree is near-perfect movie. Um... I might shorten it up a bit. I don't know how, but it's it's a little long. I I don't know though, because the only scenes that I think that we could even cut a little bit would be the theater, like when he's showing his films. Um, I don't know how to cut though, but the length is a little much. I feel like, especially for a whimsical, dry movie i don't think you need to cut it but i guess if you had to i guess you could cut out Kate blanchett's character yeah i, I like her and she needs to be in there but i'm, I'm guessing if, if you had to cut it she gives depth to ned but i i disagree though i think you need her in there because she she helps steve with the arc and she kind of shows ned's like very lovable side of him too so i i disagree but i guess if you were a monster you could say cut those scenes yeah i don't know the length is the only thing that i could maybe fix i think it would be better felt if it was like an hour and a half hour 45 um two hours you start to feel its length a little bit um but that's i'm really stretching for a fix here like because i i don't want to change this film then there you go that's your answer don't fix anything yeah, don't don't change it. George Lucas stays so far away from this thing. <laughs> the only thing I wrote down was sometimes the sound is inconsistent, but I think it's because the sets they're working with. And once again, it's kind of funny because because it kind of works because it's like they're in a shitty like boat, so the inconsistent sound when they're below deck or when they're out in the um, out in the like the wilderness, not the wilderness, but like on the island, it's not really consistent. But once again, it's like a tiny thing. But I, I, I think I'm on with you. Like, don't change a thing. I think this is almost a perfect film to me. It's not like saying like this is the greatest film of all time. It's just perfect for what it is. It's a perfect little movie to watch. Um, is it worth an Oscar? It's not really dramatic like that, but. It's it's perfect for what it is. Wes Anderson's kind of found what he does and does it well. It's kind of like how he's not Tarantino. that They're not even the same kind of director, but how they have found the formula they use and then they work that formula within different genres and different ideas. But you can watch it and go, oh, I know who this is. <laughs> I know exactly what we're about to get. That's the interesting part, I think, about Wes Anderson films is Wes Anderson's very... Not pretentious and not a hipster, but he's kind of in a very artsy kind of darling, like an indie darling. 
But you can enjoy his films and never seen a Jacques Cousteau film. You can enjoy Grand Budapest Hotel and not have any idea about like what that's based on. And because I think mm-hmm. he he makes these things extremely relatable and fun, even if you have no understanding of where he's coming from. Like his love of these films, you don't need to have that love to enjoy his films specifically. Just keep making movies. I need to see the movie with George Clooney, The Isle of Dog or Isle of Lost Dogs or something. I forgot what it's called, but I, I, I need to see it. There's Isle of Dogs, there's Fantastic Mr. Fox, and I've never seen those, and it's not because I'm avoiding them, it's just I just haven't yeah, seen them. Yeah, we'll watch them one day. I would say this movie's perfect for you and I, but I can completely understand if you don't like it because it's it's goofy, it's meandering... The characters are not very relatable, but they're very likable. Like, So if you don't like it, I completely understand where you're coming from. But for me, this is a near perfect kind of comedy with some solid heart into it. Yeah, um, fully recommend. Watch this movie. I want to say it's an acquired taste. I see. I, Rotten Tomatoes had it at like 56% and I wanted to throw something through a window. But they have like Black Panther at like ninety nine percent, and I was like, "Are you fucking kidding me?" Black Panther's not a terrible movie, but it's like, it's just a Marvel stamp with different characters in it. It's the same thing. This movie is so different from a lot of things, and you can tell there's original ideas and uh, takes and some vision from a director. Like, how many people are just gonna take David Bowie songs? turn them into Portuguese acoustic songs and have them fit so perfectly for each emotion or part of the movie. There's just so much like style and substance and, and, and love in this film. So I, yeah, I mean, I'm probably going to get now assassinated for saying I dislike Black Panther, the movie, but you know, whatever. (laughs) Well, you deserve to be shot, but I think your comparison to Tarantino is very on point because same thing. There's people who love Tarantino and hate him. People love Wes Anderson and hate them. And I can completely understand either perspectives, but I think for both of those directors and for this movie in particular, it's perfect for me. It's it's fun. I haven't laughed out loud like this in a while. And last night I was, I was cracking up texting you going, this movie's fantastic. So 100% recommend it. Absolutely. Give your interns Glocks. <laughs> Only one Glock. One Glock. They can share it. Safety. Safety first. We haven't even gotten into the outfits, but... <laughs> <laughs> we'll send them a, a, a red cap and a Speedo. That's right. A red cap and a Speedo. Então vem nos viver a vida I got a gripe. This is not with the movie. This is with fucking Amazon. Mm. Okay, I literally added this fucking movie to my watch list three days ago, and this movie was fucking free. And as soon as I added it to my watch list, the next day, it became... It cost me money. The f- Fuck. And I'm not saying it's not worth $4. It's worth $4, but fuck you, Jeff Bezos. Stop, stop doing this to me. Son of a bitch. We can't blame him anymore. He quit. Fuck you. He's got, he's got money invested. Fuck him. It's his fault. Somebody, somebody else 
We'll see you on... I'll follow you to Mars, you prick. You're gonna give me my $4 back. Bezos is in space. <laughs> I think I paid for Daredevil, so he definitely owes me fucking money.